The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. It's been 18 weeks since National Grid gas workers were locked out of their jobs over contract disputes, and union leaders have been active. Now some action bubbling on Beacon Hill with a bill surfacing in the House this week aimed at National Grid. At the start of this week, the news service obtained National Grid's response to the Department of Public Utilities' information request on the amount of work achieved during the lockout and at what cost. Matt Murphy, you've been covering this for us this week. What did National Grid's response show? Hi, Sam. You're right. We were able to obtain earlier this week a copy of National Grid's filing with DPU that came in response to the agency's request for information on how much work they've done during the lockout and how that compares to similar periods over the past three years. And the documents were really interesting. What they showed was not only has National Grid spent about the same amount of money over the past three months, or really from July, August through September, uh, over $241 million, but they've done substantially less work, including repairing about 53% fewer gas leaks than they had the year before. They also installed fewer pipelines and they were able to hook up far fewer new customers, about a 50% drop in new customers being hooked up to gas mains while the uh, company was forced to hire outside contractors to do the work that these typical union workers uh, perform. Now, all of this has raised safety concerns, and the union workers were up on Beacon Hill this week rallying for support. And I want to read a quote that uh, Joe Carillo from uh, one of the steelworkers unions who represents the gas workers told me, uh, he said, quote, I hate to say it, but the way it's going now and the cold weather coming in December or whenever, it's not a matter of if they're going to have a house explode. To me, it's a matter of when they're going to have a house explode. Wow. Yeah, that was something that jumped out to me too. And uh, you know, he raised the concern that as the temperatures dip and we're, we're seeing it, we're feeling it today, uh, this past week, uh, temperatures at night dipping down into the 30s. He says that as the frost layer kind of sets in and the ground freezes and we move into these winter months, that uh, these gas leaks, if they go unfixed, could pose an even greater danger. And nobody wants to see what happened in the Merrimack Valley happen again. No, certainly not. Uh, Now, what, if any, response has there been from the DPU and from other officials since this information came to light? Well, DPU acknowledged receipt of the National Grid filing, uh, but they said that they were still reviewing it, uh, seeking more information for the company as part of an ongoing investigation and didn't really uh, discuss what next steps would be for them. But we did see some action. The attorney general wrote to National Grid uh, saying that it, uh, quote, reveals concerning trends that raise further questions regarding the safe and efficient operation of the company's system. And then we saw House Speaker Robert DeLeo uh, really uh, uh, take a significant step towards holding National Grid accountable and perhaps even trying to ramp up pressure to end this lockout as we get into the winter months. Uh, During their informal House session on Thursday, a bill filed by Worcester Rep. Jim O'Day, who's a Democrat member of the uh, Central uh, Massachusetts Labor Council, he filed this bill in July, and it would 
It would force National Grid to extend uh, health benefits to these locked out workers and would also cut off the supply of public funds to National Grid uh, to do compliance and maintenance work that they can apply for through programs like Chapter 90. But essentially, it would end all public support for National Grid as long as this lockout goes on. And uh, whether or not that bill is going to pass or not, uh, you know, is probably beside the point. What is going to happen is there's going to be a hearing. And the speaker told the gas workers in a private meeting that he had in his office on Thursday that he wants that meeting to happen before Thanksgiving. I spoke with uh, Chairman Tom Golden, who leads the Telecom Utilities and Energy Committee for the House. He is going to be responsible for this hearing. And he says that uh, this hearing is going to take place uh, before a separate oversight hearing on the natural gas explosions in the Merrimack Valley that that committee is also planning. Uh, they were eyeing for late November. So now they're pushing up this hearing on National Grid. And the hope here, uh, both O'Day says and the union officials are hoping that this will bring a pressure on National Grid uh, and, you know, to some extent, the unions as well to really hash out an agreement and resolve this labor dispute before we get into the, the real cold months of the winter. Sure, the cold months are coming, as is the home stretch of campaign season. And has this national grid lockout been an issue at all in any of the statewide campaigns? It really hasn't yet, but I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, in the closing weeks some of these natural gas issues bubble up. We have heard Democrat Jay Gonzalez at times suggest that Governor Baker should have been playing a more active role in trying to end this lockout sooner, though the governor and his administration have said that they have been working to put these two sides in rooms together and get them to talk. He can't force them to make a deal, uh, but he has been uh, trying to encourage these negotiations. I think the other issue is we saw on Friday uh, Governor Baker and Lawrence Mayor Dan Rivera and the head of Columbia Gas had to come out and say uh, that the restoration of gas service in the Merrimack Valley, Lawrence, Andover, North Andover, which was all supposed to be wrapped up by November 19th, now going to take up to another month, perhaps, uh, for all of those customers to be restored, uh, putting some added pressure uh, on, on public officials to really uh, speed up that recovery effort. But so far, no one has seemed to pay a real political cost. I know the governor's chief of staff, Kristen Lepore, has essentially been embedded up in the Merrimack Valley since those gas explosions in September. She's there every day overseeing this restoration effort. Uh, and so far, uh, political leaders haven't been uh, too disappointed with the state response. Uh, more of their ire has been directed towards Columbia Gas and, uh, to a lesser extent, National Grid. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sam. We're joined now by Colin Young and Katie Lennon. Hi, folks. Hey, Sam. Happy Friday. Same to you. Katie, Matt and I were just talking about that uh, Representative O'Day bill uh, aimed at the National Grid uh, gas worker lockout. There was some other action this week on a bill that seemed to have faded away that all of a sudden has popped back up again. And this is one that the legislature passed in the waning days of formal sessions and sent over to Governor Baker and... What's happened since then? That's right, Sam. The civics bill is back, um, even to the surprise of a few advocates who I touched base with this week. Really? Yeah, it um, resurfaced in the in the Senate on Thursday, and that was one of the handful of bills that, um, if you can remember, way back in uh, late July, early August, back in the mists of time, right? That the the governor had sent back with an amendment, um, and has been kind of floating around in legislative limbo since then. Um, along with the uh, credit security bill, the so-called Equifax bill, and the 
Airbnb, short-term rentals, taxation and regulation bill. And this one, the civics education bill, was the first to reemerge. Um, although it's not through the process yet, the Senate introduced the bill um, and a Senator Chandler amendment to it. But Minority Leader Bruce Tarr said there, there's still a little bit more work that needs to be done to get everyone to consensus on it. So they postponed it until next session. Um, the Senate meets next on Monday, so maybe we'll see it. We're expecting to see it come up again then. Sure. And uh, give us a little recap on uh, what this bill would achieve. Yeah, so the bill, um, which both then-Senate President Chandler and Speaker DeLeo tapped as priorities this session, is about strengthening civics education in Massachusetts public schools. It creates this uh, voter registration challenge aiming to get high schoolers registered to vote. It adds in a new, uh, this is really the main piece of it, adds in a new student-led civics project that uh, certain students would be required to complete. And it lays out some new elements of what a civics curriculum should consist of. That's local governments, state and U.S. constitutions, um, information about the American flag, disenfranchised voter populations. And one element of it that advocates are really hyped about is this media literacy component there were several bills filed this session to uh, instill some sort of media literacy curriculum, how to read and absorb and learn from news and find out what's real and what's not. And that does get a mention in the final uh, final legislation. Um, the governor's amendment and the Chandler amendment both focus on the uh, voter challenge language, adding in the uh, specifying that it's nonpartisan. And they add in some language about to address a, a concern of Governor Baker. They add in some language about how a student might opt out of a group civics project if it's something they disagree with. Um, and that's a situation that wasn't complicated in the original bill. Now, at this point, we don't know if it'll be the Chandler Amendment that's adopted as is, if something else might emerge. Um, one thing Senator Tarr had said is there's a lot of options on the table there. It's always possible the House could go in their direction, their own direction when the bill comes up there. But it seems like a lot of people are interested and optimistic about getting this done. It's a an issue we've heard a lot about. And um, depending on the sports metaphor of your choosing, oh, I yes. heard one from uh, one from the Democrat side and one for the Republican side, there's a lot of interest in either getting this over the finish line or over the goal line before the new legislature is seated in January. Hmm, okay, neither of them baseball metaphors, but uh, yeah, we'll nothing it. about uh, hitting it as a home run or <laughs> um, making that save. You you mentioned uh, those two other bills that are still floating around out there, Equifax and Airbnb. Might we see either of those come up at some point soon? That's a really good question. And in fact, it is a question I asked of uh, Senator Tarr <laughs> the other day. He said that, you know, he's hopeful that they might be brought to closure. He says there's, you know, activist discussion on some matters, but it really looks like it's a, a stay tuned. Um, the Airbnb bill in particular has some heftier issues that would need to be resolved. Sure. All right. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Sam. Colin, turning over to you here. Hey, Sam. Hey. 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 <laughs> um, we've uh, been watching a, a squabble unfold and, and, and spill over into public view between the Baker administration and someone the governor appoints, and that's the state's independent financial overseer. The uh, comptroller. The comptroller, indeed. Uh, and that's Thomas Schack. 
what are they fighting for control over and why? And I know you've really dived into this this week. Yes, and this is, a, uh, I think, a pretty interesting uh, story and a, a bit of a view into um, state government at, at near the highest levels, I guess. The, the fight here is over who gets to design and implement uh, computer systems that would touch all state agencies, uh, affect all state employees, and that would have access to sensitive information. Uh, specifically, it's the systems that the state uses for human resources, payroll, and accounting. Uh, right now, Massachusetts uses um, a human resources compensation management system and the Massachusetts management accounting and reporting system. Uh, both sides, the comptroller and the executive branch, agree that those systems are antiquated, uh, vulnerable to hacking, and need to be replaced. The squabble here is over exactly how they're replaced and who gets to lead that process. So Shaq's office has been working for about two years to replace these systems with a cloud-based enterprise resource planning system, which he says could handle all of the same functions as the two current systems, uh, and then some. Uh, and earlier this year, Shaq's office sought bids from uh, top vendors, uh, which came in in June. And Shaq's office has been uh, prepared to move forward with this. Now, if you ask the comptroller, he says that the administration, through the Executive Office of Administration and Finance, earmarked $8 million for this project in its ca uh, fiscal 2019 capital plan. But, he says, that funding is being withheld and it's preventing his office from moving forward with these bids to replace the two systems. Hmm. Of course, the administration's story is slightly different. The administration, which uh, in the last two years has really expanded its reach in the area of IT cybersecurity. Uh, we now have a, a cabinet-level agency um, to oversee all of that. That's the new Executive Office of Technology Services and Security that was uh, created by the Baker administration in 2017. And what that agency is really trying to do is uh, standardize how the state handles information technology, uh, cybersecurity, and that sort of thing, rather than having these silos throughout state government. They're trying to have a sort of one approach here. Sure. Now, that's problematic to Shaq because he is, as you said, the independent and apolitical financial overseer for the state appointed by Governor Baker. So Shaq says that the law, and he cites a specific uh, chapter and section of the law, uh, gives the comptroller and only the comptroller um, the ability or the authority to design and install an accounting system for the Commonwealth. Hmm. So he says that's what he's trying to do, and the administration is holding up um, holding up his funding. Right. Now, the administration says that $8 million is actually for that new executive office um, of technology, and that it's that office that will get the $8 million, and it's that office that will take the lead here in designing these new computer systems. And by what authority would they supersede the comptroller? So um, the Secretary of Administration and Finance, Michael Heffernan, uh, uh, wrote in a letter to Tom Shack uh, that ANF is conscious of the comptroller's status as an independent agency and is conscious of the comptroller's responsibility for designing and installing the accounting system. Uh, but he said that those provisions don't deprive the executive branch uh, from their respective roles where it relates to uh, IT investment and um, capital funding, which is ANF's purview. But Colin, uh, Thomas Schack has also been hesitant about turning some of this authority over to the administration because of 
some security snafus that he's seen pop up. Yeah, the comptroller said um, fairly flatly uh, recently, I'll just tell you right now, I am not going to put our technology future in the hands of TSS. That's this new agency. Uh, He says, that's where we've been. Uh, And in the last year, the the Boston Globe has been reporting a series of these embarrassing data snafus, a lot of them emanating from the Department of Revenue, which had been run by Mark Nunnally before he became Baker's first secretary of the new EOTS executive agency. Uh, Nunnally has since left the administration. Uh, But DOR uh, made the private information of almost 40,000 business taxpayers available to other firms. Uh, And then DOR in March blamed a computer system uh, for the department's failure to deliver timely child support payments. Um, And Shaq said, much of what we're talking about here is the failings of the technology arm of the executive branch to address issues in a timely way. That's why he feels uh, it, it necessary uh, that he take the lead in designing this. Mm. And as I said, both sides here agree that these systems need to be replaced. Just to um, give you a little bit of info here, uh, the two systems collectively process about $60 billion in annual transactions, and they can access the personal information of more than 100,000 state employees across 152 state agencies. So now controlling what data is part of these systems, who can access that, that's a pretty powerful thing. Um, So even though it may seem a little trivial uh, bickering over these computer systems, it's really more than that. It's really the... the, um, What's at stake here is is who gets to design and therefore control these systems. Understandable why there's such a tug of war going on right now. That's right. Uh, so what's next, Colin? Well, Shaq's bids, which came in in June, uh, expire on November 12th. They go stale. They essentially would no longer be valid. So if his office is to move forward with the project as it has been planning to, uh, something's got to give between the administration and the Comptroller's office before November 12th. All right, we'll be watching. We'll see. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Katie. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.